The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love. Like taking those perfect new year, new you portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. It's the best way to stay connected to everyone you'll heart most in 2019. So get ready to fall in love with iPhone XR on T-Mobile, the most loved in wireless. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE to learn more or visit a store today. Understanding the Law, Week in Review. The show is hosted by Peter Lamont and Bob Hughes and is a service of the law offices of Peter J. Lamont and Associates. The firm has offices in New Jersey, New York, Colorado, Puerto Rico, and affiliated offices throughout the country. Understanding the Law, Week in Review is a weekly radio broadcast discussing recent legal and business news and topics. As always, we welcome calls from our listeners. If you wish to discuss any of today's topics, please call our switchboard at 347-855-8831. Please note that this broadcast does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship with any of our listeners. And now, your hosts, Peter Lamont and Bob Hughes. Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome. It's been a long time. Bob, how are you? I'm doing okay, yes. I barely recognize you. <laughs> I know, right? Unfortunately, we had to take a, a little bit of a hiatus, and um, it was about a, a month and a half, maybe two months. I'd like to call it a month and a half because it sounds better. Um, but we're back, and, and uh, I think that we uh, we were making some real headway, I think, Bob, with, uh, with, with the Monday show because we are getting a lot of positive feedback. I think people were really interested in some of the stories, so now that we're back, um, I think we can do it bigger and better than ever. Um, also, which is interesting, but this before, but we're trying something new today. We're going to be streaming live on YouTube, and right now, oh. the, you know, all they can see is me, unfortunately. But in the next coming uh, weeks, I think what we should do is we should try um, to do something where we're both on at the same time and people can see. So I think that might be fun, um, but it allows on YouTube when they search for live events and, and obviously we're promoting the Monday shows but when they see uh, the show live they can go right into the group chat and they can talk to us ask questions get involved with some of the stories because some of the stories that, that you know we're, we're introducing um, are a lot of fun and there's a lot to talk about so that's a oh, absolutely and usually it applies, it applies, it applies to, to everybody that's the thing you know yeah so uh, anybody that is Seeing this live on YouTube, I invite you to uh, join, listen to the stories, tell us what you think. We'll be happy to comment, maybe even engage you in uh, in some of the discussion. So we'll see how this goes. It'll be an epic fail, but how do you know if you don't? <laughs> no risk, no reward. You're absolutely right. So uh, so since we last were live this program, uh, we configured our offices and I'm in the process of finalizing a new studio setup on the other shows. So for those of you who will watch the video that I'll, I'll up edit and upload later, you'll see a glimpse of what it looks like. But uh, I'm hoping that by the end of the week it's completed, and then we'll have um, a little tour. I'll do a little 
keyboard and we'll put it up on YouTube so you guys can see it. Um, so that's exciting. But other than that, Bob, nothing exciting has happened to me. How about you? Um, other than, uh, I'm trying to think, when it was last time in, in December, I think, and we got through Christmas and uh, New Year's, and then it's been, uh, it's just been cold, man. I mean, it's, it's 20 degrees yeah. below zero here this morning. Yeah, you know, it's been cold here, too. I mean, I kind of, I don't have sympathy for you because you choose to live there. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I can't believe how cold it has been because it's been like yeah. zero below here. It's just ridiculous. Yesterday, um, yesterday we had to do some work for a client, and I, I took a ride. It was probably like a 45-minute ride from here. And the sun was out. Snow was melting, and it was great. It was like 45 degrees, and then today it's going to be down to uh, you know zero again. So I don't know. Yeah. This is for me, <laughs> I keep telling my wife, we have 10 years until my youngest is grown, and I'm leaving town. I'm heading south. She can come if she'd like, but I'm leaving. Key West is sounding good, right? <laughs> Every day. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Things are, uh, no, things, things have uh, moved along. You know, the world hasn't stopped turning since we've been gone. That's for sure. There's been plenty of, you know, if you look at the, uh, the, even the higher courts, some of the legal stuff that's been happening with the Obama administration um, and, uh, and uh, gay marriage, and everything has been – everything keeps rolling regardless of whether or not we're watching or not. You know what? You said something interesting, gay, right? Um, the mm-hmm. whole lesbian and gay dispute and everything that's been going on and the way that things have been changing yeah. since we first started the show. An interesting, really interesting uh, case came out last week in New Jersey, and this is kind of a, a one-of-a-kind case. Uh, and it deals with a therapist who is a conversion therapist, right? So they're oh, you know, conversion therapy has always had some sort of um, negative stigma attached to it. But some conversion therapists do a great job, and there's a real benefit to it. But but listen to the story. So there's a conversion therapist in New Jersey who believes that being homosexual is like an illness, and it's something that you can cure. Okay, so that's crazy in and of itself. And what happens is he makes promises to his patients that, hey, if you go through this conversion therapy, um, you're not going to be homosexual anymore. So there's a couple of people that go in and do it. And of course, right, he can't do anything about that. Uh, It's not a disease. (laughs) It's not an affliction. It's not there's nothing wrong with somebody that that's homosexual. And so what happens is the patient sues the doctor, and this is the interesting legal part. He sues the therapist, I should say, under a theory of consumer fraud. And regardless of what state you live in, your state has a consumer protection or consumer fraud act. Uh, all you mm-hmm. have to do is search it online. And, and the kicker to consumer fraud acts, especially here in New Jersey, which has a really strong one, is that if you recover, all you have to do is prove one violation of the consumer fraud act, and you can recover three times the amount of your actual damages. So you're injured 100000 you're getting 300 And on top of that, <laughs> you make the other side pay your legal fees, right? So it's like this major impact, and it's a really, um, you know, it's a scary thing for, for contractors and anybody who might be um, impacted or subject to the Consumer Fraud Act. So this conversion therapist is now sued, and the court in Hudson County uh, ruled that you can sue a therapist for consumer fraud, which is something that was never prohibited, but it was there was no case law about it. 
And so now there is. And it opens the floodgates because what if it's not a conversion therapist but a regular therapist who says something like, I can help you overcome your fear of heights. I can over, you know, help you overcome your fear of, of social anxiety. And then I can, I can help you stop smoking. I can help right. you lose weight. Right. And even if it's not like a promise, but it's, hey, listen, my course, my treatment, my therapy, um, we have a really high success rate. And I believe that I can, I can make you quit, quit smoking or help you quit smoking. That opens up the, the, the gates now for somebody to say, well, wait a minute. That's a violation of the Consumer Fraud Act because you, you said something and you didn't do it. And just real quick, we've touched on it before, but in consumer fraud cases, you don't need to actually prove fraud. Fraud is where you prove that you, uh, you intended to deceive somebody. But consumer fraud, all you have to do in most states, and it's going to be some variation, is show an unconscionable commercial practice, right? So what's unconscionable to you it might not be unconscionable to me. Sure. So it's put into interpretation. But I thought that was a really interesting case. Um, because now you've got the, the psychotherapy and the therapy world potentially open to consumer fraud litigation. So I thought that was a very uh, unique case, and I think we're going to see more of it throughout the country. Well, and it's probably going to change the verbiage in a lot of the advertising you hear. You know, you, you have the, 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 the hypnosis people and, and everything like that. Say, I can do this. I can do this for you. I can do this for you. Now it's going to turn into I can assist you. That's right. Just wait till I sue all the people that promised me hair growth. <laughs> <laughs> can I get action in on that? Is there any kind of betting going on? <laughs> I don't know. I think you have hair. Well, it is true. Well, <laughs> quite a bit, actually. Um, it, well, and it's funny that you even, you know, you, you start in with that, that situation right there as you start to talk about what you can expect from professionals and doctors. And one of the stories we talk about is a doctor suing someone via podcast that feels they were defamated. Yeah. Uh, the the uh, world wrestling, is it, is it enterprise now since they've dropped the, they dropped the effort and they just moved one letter up in the alphabet? No, entertainment. <laughs> They had to drop because WWF was the World Wildlife Federation. Right, so right, right. Yeah. And came in and said, wait a minute, you're infringing. And so they changed it to World Wrestling Entertainment. <laughs> Entertainment is probably a better description anyway. Uh, the WWE, Dr. Chris Amon is suing a couple of wrestlers, CM Punk and Colt Cabana, for a 2014 podcast. This applies to us, Peter. Makes yep. it, and this is why I always reference my source, cookcountyrecord.com, telling us a ringside doctor for the WWE hit two former wrestlers with a defamation lawsuit on Thursday of last. The suit filed in Cook County Circuit Court focuses on statements Philip Jack Brooks and Scott Colton, known as CM Punk and Colt Cabana, respectively, made about Dr. Christopher M. Amon last year on Colton's The Art of Wrestling podcast. Now, he's a Will County resident, the doctor is, and he was worked as the senior ringside physician for WWE for a number of years since 2010, claiming the duo's statements were false, def uh, defamatory, and put him in a false light by improperly insinuating, quote-unquote, a lack of integrity and or ability or inability or lack of competence to perform his professional duties as a medical doctor claiming his reputation has suffered as a result of the former WWE wrestler's comments. Amon is seeking more than $1 million in compensatory damages, as well as an undetermined amount of punitive damages. Now, during the 
26th of November episode of Colton's weekly podcast, Amon says Brooks repeatedly and falsely impugned the integrity of himself as a doctor by saying he misdiagnosed a growth on the wrestler's back as a fatty deposit and disregarded requests to remove it. Well, apparently the lump grew to the size of a baseball, was purple and morphed into what Brooks says was a life-threatening, full-blown MRSA staph infection, according to Amon Suto, which includes a lengthy transcript of the episode as an exhibit. During the episode, Brooks also said Amon didn't know how to treat a concussion, saying the doctor once prescribed him antibiotics for his concussion. <laughs> he explained that when he was struck by his appointment during a Royal Rumble match, he motioned to Amon and told him he had a concussion. Unfortunately, the doctor didn't <laughs> respond how he liked. Now, Amon saying that all the statement, statements that Brooks and Colton, both of whom live in Cook County as well, made literally and in their implications are false. Amon claiming Brooks and Colton knowingly fabricated the false and disparaging statements about him. Wow. The statements they were made also they made also were picked up and reported by media outlets, including the Washington Post, as well as online sites like BuzzFeed and several sports and WWE related blogs. Amon saying the statements made the defendants uh, or that the defendants made are highly offensive and they accuse him of a gross lack of integrity as a medical doctor and inability to perform his professional duties as a medical doctor and in placing the financial interest, there we go, of his yep. employer above life-threatening health and conditions of his patients. Um, you know, we, we risk this every time we get on the air. Anybody who does gets on the air, whether it's uh, uh, television, radio, blogs, uh, uh, podcasts, you better know what you're talking about. Because there's a lot of people that do podcasts. You know, this is really interesting because I happen to, you know, my, my kids like WWE I think it's fun, so you know I actually follow it. <laughs> and uh, everybody needs some sort of stress reliever, right? So you know I, I happen to enjoy. It. I think it's fun. Um, CM Punk is an interesting guy because he's one of these guys that really kind of didn't fit the the mold. Um, he wasn't one of these guys that uh, bring him to the, the WWE because for those people that follow it, you know Vince McMahon, who happens to be a very very Smart and savvy businessman. I mean, he has built um, an oh, empire. Yeah. An empire. I mean, Absolutely. it's just unbelievable what he has done. And and CM Punk didn't really fit that mold. He was always more of a maverick and somebody who wanted to do stuff on his own. But he was such a, a charismatic guy. And I'm not talking about his character in wrestling. I'm talking about him, him himself. Really mm -hmm. an interesting guy. So he was brought in. And, um, you know, he didn't always get along. He, he seemed to butt heads throughout his career um, and, and kind of felt as though he was being ignored. So he's retired from the WWE, and he just signed a contract with uh, the UFC, the Ultimate Fighting Championship. So now uh, he, I think he, he's always been a student of jiu-jitsu. He's going into the UFC, and he's going to be a professional mixed martial arts fighter. So... You know, here's the thing, right? He has made a ton of money. He's a very popular, successful wrestler. ton of money in the WWE. Now he's going to shift over to the UFC. Uh, like some of the other wrestlers, like Brock Lesnar, who also was a UFC fighter, they stand to make a good amount of money in the UFC. So assuming that they've done the right thing with their money, they most likely, or he most likely has, a, a good amount. Tucked away, he should be set for a while, right? Mm -hmm. Why risk it by going on a podcast and saying something that could be conceived as defamatory? Now, here's the issue, right? 
here's what they have got to prove, because here's how you prove defamation. You've got to be able to prove that the statement that was made is false, that it was distributed to more than one person, and that there's damages. Mm -hmm. So, all right, all they've got to prove, because the other elements are, are you know there. First of all, the publication to third party. He's talking to everybody who's listening to the podcast or subsequently downloads the podcast. So the third party uh, requirement's been met. Now, damages, well, the guy's a doctor, and you could, you could show through expert testimony how um, your reputation was tarnished and maybe you lost some patients and that sort of thing. So it's conceivable you can prove that. But he's got to be able to prove that the statements made are false. Now, opinion and truth are defenses to defamation. I'm entitled I was to my just going to ask you about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm entitled to my opinion, but it, there's a line when you are talking about somebody's um, professional uh, qualities or their job or something that could impact a financial aspect of what they do. Courts look at it a little more closely. So, for example, um, there were cases years ago when when AIDS first, I mean, this is back in the 80s, when AIDS first became um, you know, a disease that was identified, there were people that would, would get mad at a coworker and they'd tell another coworker, oh, he has AIDS. And there were lawsuits that, that stemmed out of that because it impacted that person's ability to work. Because as soon as an employer, remember, AIDS was something that was new, and as sure. people are hearing about it, they're fearful. So they dumped the, the employee for fear that they've got this disease. I mean, it would be like somebody today saying that, oh, you know, you have Ebola, and then, of course, the employer drops you. So there was a string of mm-hmm. lawsuits like that. Um, and because of that, there's a, a bunch of, um, they're called per se defamation, right? You can't talk about somebody's uh, health. You can't talk about somebody's, you can't say something about somebody's job. Um, so there's this fine line between opinion and and not. But now, if CM Punk could prove that there's some element of truth to this, that he went, he was treated, it was misdiagnosed, then this doctor's got no, you know, um, no call. Oh. So that's where this is going to play out. But this is not going to be something, unless they just settle it out, not something that goes away quickly, because how do you find out what was said? You know, it, it's probably a situation where it was the doctor and CM Punk. Who else is there? So you're going to go through testimony and medical documents and whatever. Um, and the WWE has already issued a statement supporting the doctor against CM Punk. And because he's already <laughs> left them, there's no love lost. So um, sure. the one thing that's curious, though, from a business standpoint is if you know, there are a lot of people that have left the WWE and they come back because they make a ton of money. Brock Lesnar is one of them. Brock Lesnar was a um, you know college championship wrestler. Went to the WWE mm-hmm. very young, made a ton of money, um, and then he left, went to the UFC, made more money, couldn't cut it as a fighter, went back to the WWE, and now he's making even more. <laughs> That's because, you know, he didn't burn as many bridges. He wrote a book that was a little bit, um, you know, critical of Vince McMahon, but he he left that door open. You know, my fear with somebody like CM Punk is that, at some point, you get the, the doors shut so tightly that maybe you can't come back in, and what if this mixed martial arts thing doesn't work for you? So from a business standpoint, I'm not quite sure, um, unless it's absolutely true, and in that case, he has the right to say it. You sure. know, That's the kind of thing that maybe you'd quite, you know, want to keep quiet. 
<laughs> well, obviously, it's going to be – it'll be played out in the media as most WWE-related things are. Yeah, like remember the, a couple uh, a couple months ago, that, that girl, I think her name was Emma, she was picked up um, and, and canned, actually, and then brought back, picked up in, I think, Walmart for stealing an iPhone case, and then it, it, it turned out it was just um, a mistake. It was in her bag, and she forgot to pay for it. But, um, yeah, it's going to be all over the news. You'll see it all over the place. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've no, been noticing that most news sites don't really cover news. It's what's more interesting than anything. Yeah, but we'll follow this one just because of the defamation, because it's going to really be a good illustration of how a defamation case works. So we're going to stick with this one and follow it through. Yeah, and if you're if you're doing podcasts like us, I mean, granted, we have the luxury of having a lawyer on board. You need to really be careful with what you say and how you say it, um, or you'll find yourself in a worse position. Yeah, it's really true because nowadays, you know, with this idea of um, of passive income and a lot of these guys that are making a ton of money from the Internet, which is commendable, mm-hmm. completely commendable. Um, but you do have to be careful because sometimes people go too far afield. You know, there's some really great podcasters out there. Um, there's this guy who does the uh, W, I think it's WDW, the Walt Disney World um, radio podcast. We're going to try to get him on to our Thursday show, but he's a perfect example of the proper way to podcast. He's talking about something fun. He's talking about Walt Disney World, but he, he never is critical. He's honest, but there's nothing negative that ever comes out. Uh, his name is Lou Mangello. I believe he actually was a, a lawyer and then quit oh, law, okay. not mistaken. Um, but if I'm wrong, Lou, don't sue me because it's just what I heard. So, not but, uh, but he's a great example, and and you know it's really true because now people are using the internet to make money. They're podcasting because it's so easy to do. They're putting videos up. You do have to be careful with what you say because you could find yourself on the the, the wrong end of a defamation suit. And while CM Punk might have a ton of money to apply to his legal team, most people don't have that kind of money sitting around because you're going to have to pay your yeah. lawyer. Even if you win that case, you're paying a lawyer. So be careful. Good advice, Bob. <laughs> well, the um, uh, the arrow hits really close to the center of the target with me. So <laughs> that's what's nice about just reading the news. <laughs> um, you know, and there's a lot. Actually, I get into a lot of discussions on, on Second Amendment rights. In the thing that people forget is we have. 10 constitutional amendments that were original. That was the first, and now there's uh, 26, I believe. But there's, one is with when it comes to freedom of the press, you've got to be very careful. And a court has um, erred in stripping a reporter of the privilege of covering a case. According to courthousenews.com, a reporter covering a murder case should not have been stripped of his First Amendment privilege for failing to reveal his sources. An Illinois appeals court ruled. Bethany McKee and three other defendants were charged with six counts of first-degree murder in the alleged strangling deaths of two male victims. Uh, Joseph Hosey wrote about the case for the Joliet Patch website, and his articles contained alleged details of the murders. McKee's counsel filed a motion to divest Hosey of his reporter's privilege to discover the source to write the articles. Counsel also argued that McKee could now not receive a fair trial and accused Hosey of getting the toxicology report from the victim's autopsies without filing a Freedom of Information Act or FOIA request um, with the Joliet clerk's office. After hundreds of affidavits these people had to go through, they were filed from officials claiming not to be the source of the leak. The circuit court finally divested Hosey of his reporter's privilege. 
Hosey was found in civil and criminal contempt for failing to reveal his sources. We've heard about this a lot, where people yeah. are trying to dig for that source. He was fined 1000 bucks plus $300 for each additional day of noncompliance, which can add up after 180 days. Hosey was to be jailed. Well, he appealed. And the 3rd District Illinois Court of Appeals overturned the contempt and divestiture rulings against him. Because the identity of Hosey's source cannot be revealed, according to the court, to a fact of consequence to the first-degree murder allegations, we hold that the circuit court erred when it granted the motion of divestiture, according to Justice Robert L. Carter, writing on behalf of a three-justice panel. For the same reason, Carter stated that the contempt findings against Hosey should be vacated. Has there ever been a case, Peter, that you could think of where the court has succeeded in extracting a, a, a confidential source from the press? There are limited times. It's a very limited scope. So most states, if not all of them, have laws in place to protect reporters from having divulged, to divulge their sources. Um, and, and the way that the laws are, are laid out essentially says that you have a privilege. And because, again, remember, this isn't necessarily a constitutional right for a news reporter mm -hmm. to protect his sources. This is a privilege okay. that's been established in an effort to keep news reporting, um, you know, fairly uh, objective and fair and to bring uh, to light issues. It, it's, um, it, it's meant to protect the reporter, but it's not a constitutional right. You have no guarantee as a reporter, ah. oh, you know, I've got this constitutional right to keep my sources quiet. What you do have is this privilege, and privileges can be overturned depending upon certain circumstances. So the way the laws are, are laid out in most states... It'll say that before a privilege can be overturned, we need to exhaust all other possible avenues to divulge uh, information about a particular person or, or, or crime. So what you'll find is that um, the last resort is to pierce the privilege. And the only way you can do that, do that is if the information that, that the reporter has is absolute. Right, You know that if you can get to that, you can prove this case. It's happened a handful of times. This privilege is a relatively mm -hmm. strong privilege, and um, this case is a good example of that because the information that he has, uh, it, it wasn't conclusive. It wasn't 100%. The research that was done, the sources that he spoke to, it was not the smoking gun, and it didn't rise to the level of being able to eliminate his privilege. And, you know, privilege is something that we talk about with police and municipalities. Um, they have this privilege established, too. And, again, it's not a constitutional right. A police officer or a municipality does not have a constitutional right to not be sued for regular negligence. But they mm -hmm. do have privilege that extends that says, you know, you can't be held liable for regular negligence. It's got to be gross. Um, but that's what it is. So it's this privilege. And, um, you know, to, to pinpoint a case is very difficult. There's, there's a handful of them. So for news reporters, for those people, and it's not just like, you know, your, your main news people that you see on TV. What about all these kids in college going through journalism programs or guys that, or, or girls that run podcasts and news shows kind of like this? You know, and mm -hmm. point where you're going out and now maybe your podcast has grown, maybe your news has grown. When I was in college, I worked on a, a television station, and we did the news. 
and we would go out and we would interview people, and we, we got press passes. So it was like a big-time thing. And you've got to be careful and know your rights, too, because just because you're a college student, if you're going out and you're going to interview somebody, and let's just say you hit on some major story, and now you get subpoenaed or the police are coming and asking questions, you do have this privilege, and it is something that can protect you. So it's not meant just for you know the, the big heavy hitters, Channel 7 or ABC or NBC. You know, it's meant for everybody. So that's how this works. But a lot of that, it, it, you get into a situation with podcasting. It's, it's you have to be more of an investigative situation where you're really pushing it, kind of like you said, like in, in a, a newspaper or a television station. You're getting out and you're doing, you're getting into the facts yourself versus someone that's just reading and, and, and providing opinion. Right. If you are relying on other sources and you're going to report on a story the way we do, there's there's nothing you have to worry about because you're citing another source. But if you were to take a story, um, for example, Bob, there was one story we did a while ago, and I think it was the woman who left her kid in the playground while she went down the street to work at McDonald's. Remember that story? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that we made an attempt to, um, my office made an attempt to try to contact her to see if she would be willing to talk. So that sort of thing where you go out and you do more than just report or, or relay a story that could open you up to issues because now you are conducting an investigation in a journalist capacity. I mean, that's what we would have been. And you might receive a subpoena. You might have somebody say they've got information that has to be divulged and you've got to know enough to say, wait a minute, I do have a privilege. And if you are an independent blogger or a college student, somebody who's not protected by a massive legal department for a major news network, you need to know you've got rights under this privilege. Go to a lawyer and ask for help. And, you know, you don't have to give up your source. Sure. Yeah, no, it's something to think about as you, especially if you're choosing to do some different things with your podcast or, um, like you had said, college students in, in, uh, in journalism school, check with your editor. They, they'll have a pretty good idea, too. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, no, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing how um, sometimes the courts – and it's always, I don't say fun to watch, but interesting to watch how the courts will play a ball back and forth. And in this situation, you know, the circuit court coming saying, yeah, you've got to do this. But the journalism having enough sensibility to, to appeal it and go to the end, he very well could have lost, depending on the situation, but at least yeah. knew what he needed to do. So and it's always fun to watch how it plays out in someone's other take on things and say, no, actually, look at the letter of the law. And this is exactly what it is. And and we have another one that's coming up, uh, another story that that. You, once you start to look at what the law states, it's not open for interpretation. It's what it is. Yeah. Yeah, and you know what? It's those cases that are, are always interesting because, you know, most laws are not black and white. They're written in such an open-ended fashion, and it's open mm -hmm. for interpretation. And it's interesting when you have cases that, you know, maybe um, are, are more, more strict or, or more black letter and then you've got a judge that interprets it differently. And you've got to wonder and, and look into it and figure out why did he interpret it differently? What was it about it? Was it the lawyer? Did he have um, you know, some personal experience that he might have applied to it? Because in, in the lower courts of any state, you know, judges are impartial, but they're human too. And so you're supposed to recuse yourself if you've got some sort of conflict. But what if you don't have a conflict? I mean, what if you're 
handling a case involving a consumer transaction where, let's just say hypothetically, the merchant gave you a hard time with returning something, and for whatever reason, even though it would be a silly case, you file suit against the merchant. And let's say that the judge, like every other person, has had an experience where they've tried to return something, and either the person was abusive or nasty or whatever. So, you know, you could apply your own personal feelings not even realizing it. You know, it's like it's inadvertent. Well, this is how I feel. So it's interesting because when you get to the appellate level, it's always a panel of judges. So you're going to have three judges, four judges, two judges, and now it's more than just one. That's It's like a good checks and balance system. Sure. It's not the perfect system, but it's a pretty darn good one. No, not perfect <laughs> at all, but yeah, the best we can do. Absolutely. Speaking of the best we can do, the Fed's on the case. The Fed's saying it's likely to take on the, the community of Ferguson. According to courthousenews.com, the Department of Justice, still not done with this, is ready to file a lawsuit against the Ferguson Police Department for a pattern of racially discriminatory practices, according to CNN. Ferguson obviously becoming the epicenter of national protests, alleging racial profiling by police back in uh, was it August of last year when Michael Brown was shot by an officer, Darren Wilson. Now, the Department of Justice launched two probes shortly after Brown's death. One was into Wilson's actions and the other was an investigation into department wide policing practices. The lawsuit will be filed uh, when it is unknown. But CNN reporting that it will be filed if Ferguson does not agree to review and revise certain outlined tactics. Citing unnamed sources, CN reporting that the lawsuit would claim that police in Ferguson and nearby Jennings targeted minorities with minor traffic infractions and then jailed them when they couldn't pay their fines. Several lawsuits have been filed with those allegations already. On Tuesday, U.S. Attorney General Eric Holder, I thought he was leaving, uh, hinted that both investigations would be completed shortly. He believes that uh, his, his quote is, I think every day we will see when we announce our results that the progress or the process that we engaged in is, as I said, black at, back at the time when I went to Ferguson, independent, thorough, and based on all the facts, Holder said in a speech at the National Press Club. He says he's confident that people will be satisfied with the results that will be announced However, no federal charges are expected to be filed expected to be filed against Wilson as that's been kind of water under the bridge for a while. So yeah. not backing up. Are they going to make an example out of Ferguson? Yeah, they have to. I think that what happened in Ferguson was so um um you know, epic for this country at this time. I mean, it it was like back in the in the 1960s and it was something that was just uh such national attention. I mean, you know, you sat there. I had my kids who were, were, you know, my oldest one who's in seventh grade, they were talking about it in school as a current event. And I remember mm-hmm. the, the night that he's sitting there and he's watching CNN and watching the riots. And it's kind of unbelievable. Like, it's like a movie. So I think that they have to do something in Ferguson to make an example. Um, and I, I think that what will happen is going to be minor. I don't think that there's any going to be any significant changes. These are things that we've been dealing with since the era of segregation. And unfortunately, I don't know that they can ever be changed because, you know, and I don't even want to venture a guess at, at because why, but, you know, when you've got people in power, you've got people that are police officers, we've talked about this before. Some are great. Most of them are great. Most of them really believe in protect and serve, but there's that handful that go too far. And I'm not saying that... Um, you know, because obviously he was found innocent 
of any criminal mis- misdoings uh, with respect to uh, to the Ferguson shooting. But, you know, you, you have to wonder and, and, and you've got to look past um, the immunities that they're provided because, again, you know, it's that hurdle you've got to get through when you've got a civil suit where they've, they've got these special immunities. Um, and, and so if they're not grossly negligent, which is a high standard, they walk mm-hmm. from a civil suit. The criminal, obviously, you know, criminal is very, very, I don't want to say difficult, but there's a much higher bar. Um, it's not clear and convincing evidence. It's, be, it's, reason, um, it's um, beyond reasonable doubt. And, and you know, it's, it's a different standard. And so I think that what's going to happen are minor changes. There's going to be some, you know, additions to the police force that address minority concerns. Maybe they'll do a hiring spree. They'll put some people in, but I, nothing's going to change. I wouldn't think so. It's, it's Ferguson is a situation that, like you had said, it's mirrored all over the all over the, the country. It doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it wrong. It just is. And what can be done to fix each and every one is going to be different in every place. And so. Sadly, it we'll see what happens with this, but I really think it's it would take an event like what happened there to force any change at any of these other locations because it just it it happens and it's everywhere and it's sad, but it is. Yeah, you know, years ago, not not that many years ago, but uh, New Jersey uh, Turnpike, the state police, there was a whole big investigation done into racial profiling, um, and and what was done was that they hired some minorities to add to the state trooper force and there was an investigation and then it goes away because it's something that you know you're dealing with individuals and you can't regardless of what policy and procedure you put in place you can't stop somebody from doing something that they're going to do independently because you can't tell me there aren't guys out there that still do see a minority and say he's up to no good there are just you know and regardless of how many background checks and screenings you do on these people, some people, this is their inherent belief, and they're going to go out and they're going to do it, and then it has negative implications on the entire police force. So is there a way to fix and, it? I don't think there is. And, 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 you know, sadly, there are not only, you know, when you talk about minorities, there are also situations. I've, I don't want to say I encountered the ex- exact opposite of the situation, but I was in Dallas and was looking for – was coming back from Centerline, coming into Dallas to fly back out. I was filming a, a show down there, and no idea where to stay near the airport. So I pulled off the expressway, saw some police at a situation at a, at a laundromat. I said, I'll wait till they're done with the situation, and I'll ask the police where a good place to go is. And, um, you know, and so you, you pull up and say, excuse me, you know, this is the situation. Look for a hotel. Where he, and the first thing out of the cops was, with your color, not around here. Yeah, <laughs> that yeah. is verbatim what he said. I said, okay. He goes, you need to go stay by the here. Here's where you got to go. Go stay by the airport. <laughs> yeah. And so it, and, and I don't mean it to be a negative side, but you, you know, I hate to say, was he being honest? Unfortunately, yeah. But there are situations that are going to be that way. What he, should he have said? What he said? No, he probably very easily could have said, you know what? The best place for you to stay is here. And not worded the way he did. <laughs> right, right. You so. see, the thing is this: that you know, I I think, in my opinion, is that it's not it has not it has nothing to do with race. In my opinion, what it has to do with is 
socioeconomic climate and mm-hmm. areas. It does not make a difference because there are just as many poor and violent white you know Caucasians or Asians or African Americans. It doesn't make a difference. I think it's more of a socioeconomic situation. If you have no money, if you're struggling, if you're living in a project, it doesn't matter what color you are, it could be or develop into a bad area. It doesn't have to do with skin color. And I think that that's where, in your story, right, that's where the the officer went wrong. Because it it could have been this bad area. But instead, that's what some of these guys think. Oh, it's sure. it's a black thing. It's an Asian thing. It's you know, and that's where they get themselves into trouble, because and, and, know, I, and I live in one of those areas it, it, where it is very you know, heavily white, but it's also depressed because it's a farming community. We have no manufacturing, and so the small pockets of of of, of people where they live are generally depressed, socially right. speaking, and right. And 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 I would imagine in a farming community that the vast majority you're going to have you know, Caucasian people in, you know, poor settings, as opposed to yes. something like inner city where I don't think it has anything to do with, with the color of a person. I think it has to do with this is where, um, you know, maybe a lot of African-Americans live. But where you are, you have people that are, are Caucasian that have bad socioeconomic situation. So if there's going to be crime, there's going to be destruction, there's going to be violence, it could be from that end of the spectrum, and it has nothing Absolutely. to do with it. No, and, and the people I profile are the people that are walking. Why is that guy walking around here? Yeah, he's not. He, why doesn't he have a car? Why isn't he riding a bike? Why is he walking? Now I'm going to watch this guy from the point from where I can see him on one end of town to the point where I can see him in the other end of town. Yeah, and watch him, make sure he's not doing anything he shouldn't be doing. Doesn't matter right. what color he is. That's right. So, Speaking anyway. of, of- Speaking of, of walking, though, um, we weren't going to talk about it today, but a couple of, of weeks ago, maybe three four weeks ago, did you see that story about um, an older African-American gentleman who walked to work every single day? Did you see that? Right here in my home state, right here in, yeah. right in, right in the uh, greater Detroit area. Yes, I did. That is a great story because, you know, we talk to a lot of employers about trying to hire the right employees and and the culture today with young people, I don't really understand it, but there's this sense of entitlement, and it's very difficult to convince an up-and-coming young person that, hey, you're not entitled to a three-figure salary to start off. Hey, you've <laughs> got to start at the bottom and work your way up. You know, And so it's really hard to, to get through to people. And, and here's a story where I thought it was great. I love the story because the guy – was such a dedicated and devoted hard worker that he walked so many miles to work every day. And, and you know, of course, he ends up being rewarded. But he is probably one of millions of people that do the same thing that don't get rewarded and don't get a break. But they still are or even there. even if it's, it's, it's jumping seven or eight buses to get to work. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've got just tremendous respect for people like that because they are really dedicated. I wish that, you know, some of the companies that I work with, and and you know, my own company for that matter, I would love to have people like that that have such dedication mm-hmm. and devotion that they will walk through snow and ice and rain to get to their job because they love it. And that's that's a great thing. That's a really good story. 
Well, I think not only that they love it, but he understands the responsibility, which is not like you say, sometimes younger folks don't get because they haven't had to deal with it yet. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's just the, the climate in this culture or the climate in, the, in society now with the instantaneous everything. I want a movie. Mm-hmm. I download it. I want a, music, a song. I download it. You know, people don't have that, that, um, well, you got to work for it. You know, you got to save up for it. <laughs> you know? No, it's uh, not right now. They don't. And hopefully we'll get back that way. I don't know. I think we're too far gone. Over the weekend. <laughs> That's because you're getting old, Peter. You're getting old. I know. One of my kids said to me, oh, I want to I want to buy this add-on to a game. And I said, no. And they said, yeah, but it's only two ninety nine. And I said, yeah, but I, I don't want you to spend that. It's You don't need it. Yeah, but it's it's not like it's real money. It's on the computer. It's on the you know video game. <laughs> yeah, it's not real money. It's not real money. <laughs> it's so it's yeah, geez. that's great. It doesn't exist. It's not in my hand. It doesn't exist. Uh, you know, when you talk about walk, that guy walking and, and 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 not being able to drive, sometimes people abuse the driving privilege. Okay. An attempted black ice DUI defense doesn't hold water. Findlaw.com. A New Jersey man, no one that Peter knows, uh, allegedly, and I say allegedly, poured water in the middle of an intersection to create a black ice slick as an excuse for, also allegedly drunkenly, crashing his car into a nearby guardrail. Another New Jersey man is accused of attempting to aid in the plan. Both were arrested and charged with DUI. Police officers in Sparta, New Jersey, is that near you? No, it's about 34, 35 minutes away. I'm pretty oh, clear. I had nothing. I was not <laughs> spraying the water on the I ground. Know. I promise. You know nothing. Uh, they found a Brian Byers and Alexander Damandetti at an icy intersection in the middle of the night. Damandetti was shirtless, oddly enough, in the driver's seat of his car. The outdoor air temperature at the time was hovering around one degree. Even more curious, though, the two five-gallon buckets in the car. The buckets still had some water in them, police say. So what actually happened? Well, cops believe Byers blew through a stop sign at the intersection, collided with a guardrail, and drove his car back to his house before recruiting Zambinetti to cover up or to help with the cover-up. By allegedly throwing buckets of water onto the roadway, this was their plan, the men had created enough ice in the intersection to require a half a ton of salt to melt the ice, a thousand pounds. Alas, that wasn't enough to fool the officers, though. The the men were charged with a variety of offenses. In chronological order, Byers was charged with careless driving, driving while intoxicated. He failed the breath test, failure to stop at a stop sign, failure to report an accident, leaving the scene of an accident, and disorderly conduct for purposely icing the intersection. Although he denied operating his car, Zambinetti was charged with careless driving, DUI, because he failed a series of field sobriety tests and failure to wear a seatbelt. Seems that both men dodged counts of tampering with or fabricating physical evidence, though, because the New Jersey state statute prohibits making or using any object or other thing of physical substance, knowing it to be false, and with the purpose to mislead a public servant who is engaged in an investigation. Tampering with evidence is a fourth-degree crime carrying a possible 18-month jail sentence. A for effort, guys. E for execution. Really? (laughs) I mean, a lot of Who came up with this? In a drunken stupor, there was a lot of thought put into that. Wait a second, I got an idea. You get the water, we dump it on the road, and it freezes. 
We better get a 12-pack to go first, though. It could be out there for a while. And don't wear a shirt, either. <laughs> yeah, well, he was just woke up. He was in bed. He's lucky he wasn't in his pajama bottom. <laughs> oh, you know, and the funny thing is, had, had they probably really, truly gotten out there in the comps and said, wow, this looks like it may have actually happened. I think that maybe there may be some skid marks on the ice that would give this away. Yeah, you would think. This, you know, <laughs> just stupid, stupid. But you know what? Look, I'm not saying that that um, they should just you know run to the police, turn themselves in. But look, I'm also no. not a criminal defense lawyer. I, I don't do that kind of work. You know, I, that's why I stay away from that because I believe that if you've committed a crime, you need to pay the price. But you know, you do something stupid like this to try to make it better, and they've just made it worse. I mean, terribly <laughs> worse themselves. So, yeah. you know, and it's it's, it's kind of like outrunning the cops. It's very yeah. difficult to outrun a radio. Absolutely, absolutely. It's just stupid. But you know, this happens so often. There is there's, there's oh, sure. stories I could tell you of arson. There was one that was it was involving a, a wig store, and the guy tried to burn it down, but he left like his keys and his wallet in the store oh. <laughs> after he was done dousing it with gasoline. I mean, there's just a ton of stories where whether it's insurance fraud or they're trying to protect themselves or hide from the police or not get convicted of a crime, and you do something so <laughs> stupid. So, <laughs> and it, yeah, had you just owned up to the original act, <laughs> it would have gone away. You know what? Even if you didn't want to own up to it, get arrested, get a lawyer, get somebody like Saul <laughs> Goodman from you know uh, Breaking Bad, and <laughs> let them help you get off. Right? I mean, you right up slip. That's a great. That one's show, right up slip in Jimmy's alley. I, 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 have you started to watch the uh, Better Call Saul? Yeah, I love it. I think it's great. <laughs> well, it's you know it's 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 kind of like for me. I don't know if you're familiar with the movie Spinal Tap. Yeah. Yep. Be, being a musician, it's very funny. So I imagine being a lawyer, there's a, yeah. <laughs> a degree of hidden humor, to, to say the least. Like the, uh, I think there's a problem with your math here. A seven hundred dollar check for four defendants. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> your public defender. <laughs> You know what's funny about the about the show is that there's some elements, kind of like Spinal Tap, for you, there's some elements of truth to it. Like, you know, you see this sure. guy starting off, and he's uh, his law office is in the back of a Korean massage parlor, um, or, or um, what do you call it, like a manicurist, and he's got this little tiny closet, and he's struggling, and he's praying that the phone will ring. And, you know, that's what it's like for a lot of lawyers when they first get out of law school and decide they're going to hang up a shingle. So there's a lot of truth to it. Um, you know, obviously he just goes down the wrong path, but I think it's a fun show. I, I was a big oh, fan yeah. of Breaking Bad, so to uh, to have the show continue, it's kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, and I didn't understand it until I was like, oh, this is the before he becomes Saul Goodman, to give away the show for everybody that's listening. You're, you're very welcome. Um <laughs> The but but it's before breaking the whole Breaking Bad incident, so now you're, you're called a prequel, if you will. Um, yeah. Because I'm thought maybe this was I didn't I didn't read up on it enough. I saw it. I was like, oh, I have to check this out. I'm like, what is going on here? And it's oh, okay. It became obvious during the uh, the end of the first episode. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really <laughs> great. It's really a lot of fun. I think. Um, and there's some of the the recurring characters, like the guy Mike, who was. Uh, Kind of the, the yeah. tension. So um, there's a lot of elements of the show. 
They actually brought back one of the other characters. I'm, I, I don't, I'm not going to give this away just in case you haven't seen it. Um, they brought back another character from uh, from Breaking Bad. So it's a good right. show, and it's funny, and uh, there's some elements of truth to it. But if you are drunk and you're driving and you have an accident, don't pour <laughs> water. I mean, at least all I could say in their defense is it was cold out, right? It was cold enough to freeze. Yeah, it was, it was a they good idea. It was a degree good night. idea, but it just... Yeah. <laughs> but you go to a lawyer like that, you know, and I'm sure there'll be a lot of lawyers that, that are critical of that comment, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> you need to... Uh, earlier... Yeah, you need, to, you need to call Saul. Earlier we had talked about interpretation in the law, and, and, and uh, this this kind of applies... Upskirting photographer gets charges dismissed in Oregon. Findlaw.com. Apparently, it's legal in Oregon, folks. Snapping upskirt photos of a 13-year-old girl in a Target store. And actually, you'll find, as we discussed this, it's legal a lot more places than just Oregon. That's what 61-year-old Patrick Bono of Portland was accused of doing. And even though a trial judge says actions were lewd and appalling, he didn't actually do anything illegal. How can that not be illegal? Well, it turns out that Oregon's law is too specific about what it prohibits. Bono was accused of invasion of privacy and second-degree encouraging child sex abuse. First charge makes it a crime to take a photo of a person without consent. Kicker is that the photo has to be taken in a place where a person can uh, expect a reasonable uh, amount of personal privacy. Problem is, in this case, Bono took the upskirt pictures in an aisle at Target, not in a bathroom or changing room where the person would expect that privacy, his Saul Goodman defense lawyer, lawyer argued. Now, the second charge... Encouraging sexual child sexual abuse requires that a person view or obtain a visual recording of sexual explicit conduct involving a child for the purpose of satisfying the sexual desires of that person. Problem is, though, is that sexually explicit conduct, including what you might think, of course, but it doesn't encompass underwear, which the victim was wearing. And all this led to Judge Eric Butterfield reluctantly dismissing the charges against Buono, quote unquote, from a legal point of view, which unfortunately today is my job to enforce. He didn't do anything wrong, he told the Oregonian. The phenomenon known as upskirting has spawned a variety of new state laws, but similar to this Oregon case, many states' prohibitions on taking lewd photographs in public have not been applied to certain upskirting incidents. Now, in Massachusetts, Supreme Judicial Court reversed the conviction of a man who took an upskirt photo of a woman in a Boston subway. Now, unfortunately, (laughs) the next day, Massachusetts legislature, I, I was reading this and did some research, turned <laughs> created a law to make it explicitly illegal to take upskirt photos. Texas, on the other hand, tried to implement a clothing upskirt or clothed upskirting ban, but the state Supreme Court rejected that statute in September, finding that it infringed on a photographer's First Amendment rights. So it depends on how specific you want to get here. And, and that's where we talked about before, interpretation versus written letter. Yeah. I've got one word for you. Scort. <laughs> you know what a scort is? The, the, yes, I the do. Skirt shorts, scort. <laughs> no, in, in all seriousness, um, I mean, the law has to change for, for things like this because this is, is, is a deviant behavior. You're preying on kids. You're preying on, even if it's not a kid, even if it's, you know, a 50-year-old woman. Um, you know, these things aren't okay, but the laws are, this is what we were talking about earlier. They're, they're open for interpretation. Some are black and white, but most are not. And in, in this case, 
you know, it, it's more of a black and white situation. And because you can't extend it beyond what it's written as, now you've got somebody like this, it's it's okay. And it's really not okay. Sure. You know, and... and In your mind, it should tell you it's wrong. But the problem is, is people don't figure that out. You know, I, I think, too, that with some, some people um, that, that... And I'm not, you know, obviously a psychiatrist or anything. But I think that some people, that deviant behavior, it's exciting to go knowing that you're doing something potentially illegal or, you know, something you shouldn't be doing. Because I think that unless you are extremely sick, you know it's not right, but there's a thrill associated with it. And I think that um, this really should open up legislatures uh, or, or legislative, um, you know, eyes and say, all right, we've got to make a change to this law. And there's a lot of stupid laws out there that they change. Why not something sure. like this? Because I do think that this protects kids and women. Um, and a lot of states have implemented strict rules about upskirting where they've made it illegal. Well, Massachusetts being one of them. And actually, the Texas law required that finding – the law required finding the photographs were supposed to be for an arousing purpose. But the Texas Supreme Court even went so far as to say, hey, that's policing thoughts, and that's not permissible according to the Constitution. And so yeah. they're, 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 they, you've, that thing goes back to that whole, you've got to, if you want it to be prohibited, you've got to be specific. And you, know, you can apply that thought process to so many slippery slopes, I suppose is the best way to put it, out there that, you know, you, you weapons bans, you know, you can, you know, there's a slippery slope to that. Well, not if you're specific and you say these weapons are banned. Okay. You can't have an AR-15. You can't have, there's too many, you know, an assault weapon. Well, every weapon's an assault weapon. It's the purpose that yeah. you're talking about. Now they get, you know, okay, now we're going to ban, we're going to ban SKSs. We're going to ban AK-47s. We're going to ban this. If they, if they don't get specific on some of those things, things can run amok. Good yeah, and bad. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that there's some uh, laziness is not the right word, but there's some element of of, of quote unquote laziness where you know, you want to just capture everything and you do it with with broad or open ended language and you sort of miss the point, you overshoot the mark, and you don't actually stop the behavior that you were trying to. Oh. <laughs> you know, something like this. I mean, the idea of upskirting, it it should be. In, and we're talking about how a law should be written, it should be clearly defined. Upskirting is defined as, and and give it a definition that mm-hmm. is narrow in scope and encompasses or incorporates all of these activities, right? And then you make it unlawful, but you go back to the definition and you can you can compare, all right, well, did I do this? Did I do that? Did I do this? Um, the, the idea of... of Trying to police somebody's thoughts is so crazy and ridiculous that you're never, ever going to be able to get a conviction on something like that because you can't get into the mind of somebody else. So if you limit the scope of it and you write it in the proper way, I think you're good. But I think, too, a lot of times people that are writing the laws, I don't think they truly understand a lot of the technology, a lot of the terminology that that's being used today because some of, of um, the lawmakers – they're, they're, you know, past their prime. <laughs> Some? Uh, oh. Yeah. No, it's... <laughs> and, of course, the, the old defense is, I, I was just taking a picture. I didn't know it was illegal to go uh, shoot up a skirt. Well, 
as a judge once told me, ignorance is no excuse, Mr. Hughes. Yeah. Yep. I so, just happened know, to on the floor with my cell phone camera and <laughs> happened to look up. What it was, How could you possibly think that was okay? Yeah. You know, I just happened to buy this little camera and stick it into my shoe. Yeah. yeah. That that was my next question is how are these people taking these photos? And yeah, apparently Maxwell Smart is loaning out his shoe cam. Um, I'm dating myself. Or are people as in well with the Massachusetts situation, someone actually used their their camera. I think the police kind of set up a sting. I believe this is the Massachusetts case where the guy was using his cell phone to on the subway upskirt yeah. uh, individuals. You know, everybody's got a camera nowadays. Every single smartphone has a camera. And so I've seen some of these reports, some of the news reports, where, you know, they've actually caught these people doing it. And they're so they're so bold about it. They'll take their cell phone out and they'll just you know, stick it underneath a, a, a woman's skirt. And there's just, you know, <laughs> no, they look around. There's nobody watching, right? Forget all the cameras overhead and they go and do it. Stupid. Um, and I do think that there needs to be some level of protection because you, you just you just can't have that. It, it's really that is an invasion of privacy. It's wrong, and it should be a crime. So, you know, I think that that the states that don't have these laws on the books they need to rethink. Well, hopefully, hopefully they'll spend their time wisely. <laughs> yeah, legislatures. Um, real quick, uh, I wanted to touch on Safeway. Not everyone agrees with everything, but this is, you know, a fairness issue. Um, Business Management Daily reporting that Safeway adding benefits for LGBT employees. Safeway is making it uh, support of lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender employees and shoppers visible with some perks for workers and the communities where its grocery stores are located. The chain also started a supplier diversity program that supports the inclusion of LGBT suppliers. Now, the chain's attention uh, has been attached to its LGBT, LGBT employees. It's paying off in the marketing value. The stores are listed on a on many where-to-shop lists compiled by LGBT advocacy groups. So they're, they're doing what's fair. It may not always be what you agree with, but what's right, in my opinion. Yeah, or you can look at it in the cynical way, which is mm-hmm. now you have Please just introduced your company, your product and services to a brand-new community that are going to you know, want to come and shop there because if they're part of the LGBT community and they know that you're a supporter of them, I mean, how many people stopped going to Chick-fil-A after, after sure. the CEO made his comments? So right. I think that it, it could be looked at as a cynical view, but what's great from a business standpoint is this. Sometimes, as a business owner, and and especially in the corporate world, not just you know small business, sometimes you've got to look at the environment and you've got to see what's going on, what is the shift that's occurring, and you can have your own beliefs, you can have your own set of values, but if you're in the business of making money, you've got to be smart enough to say, this is the way the community is shifting, and maybe we should embrace some of that. And and that's separate and- apart from whether or not you believe that they, they should have rights. I personally believe that at this stage in our uh, our country that there's no reason not to uh, allow somebody in the LGBT community to have the same benefits and rights as other people. But even if you don't, even if you're one of these people that don't, think about how it could impact your business. Sure. 
and, and vice versa, they also probably open themselves up to these uh, uh, more fundamentalist groups that will say, well, now I'm not going to Safeway if that's where they're going. It's the gamble you take. Yeah. And, you know, it's, you're either going to do what you, you know, what you believe is right or whether or not it affects everybody here or, or everybody over here, it's, you know, if you're, you're taking the gamble, it's what you believe. So it's, you know, like I say, I mean, I, when I'm in business, welcome to the, welcome to the store dollar. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't care what color you, I don't care if you ride in a pony, <laughs> come on in and I will take your money. Yeah. Even if you don't have a shirt on, right. You still take them. <laughs> yeah. As long as I'm not serving food and there's no health care violations, you bet you just don't leave. Don't bring in a five-gallon pail full of water and dump it on the floor, though. That's right, with your rock-hard nipples. And <laughs> <laughs> some, oh. some temperatures, yeah. No, but, you know, it's a, a business lesson for people to learn, too, because I, you know, maybe Safeway is doing this because they think it's right. And I, I commend that because, you know, you, you can take that stand – but there's those two ways of, of approaching it. You do something because you truly believe in it, or you do something because your marketing team tells you to do it. Sure. I've been involved Good for business. In, yeah, I've been involved in a lot of um, of, of large corporate decision making processes where you'll sit around at, at a conference table in the boardroom and you'll hear reasons why we should do it, and it's not always because it's the right thing to do. It it oftentimes comes back to Profit and revenue. Sure. And, oh yeah. You know what's what what's the risk to benefit uh, analysis here? We're going to be opening up our, our stores to a whole host of new people, and who are we going to be losing? The people that don't spend a lot of money anyway. So you know that could be a thought process, but it's a it's a good sure. lesson to learn. Absolutely. No, it's it's, it's like I say it's 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 whether you like it or not. It's the way the world is going, and it's just that's the way it is. So, it um, has nothing. You know, everybody gets a fair shake. Yeah, I think I think that that's the way that you've got to be if you are a business in this world today. You can't be um, shutting people out because when you do, like Hobby Lobby and and anybody else that you can think of in the news, you you know the the publicity and negative attention that you get from it, it could be disastrous. You know, if you're a big corporation that has built up uh, a, a lot of, 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 you know, solid customers and a lot of money, you can fend off those sorts of, of allegations and litigation and, and negative publicity. But when you're a smaller company, a mid-sized company, maybe you've got 30 or 40 employees, it, it, it could be devastating for you to make a, a stand that offends mm-hmm. some people that they don't want to do business with you anymore. Sure. Yeah, no. well, that's, you learn the hard way that way. But <laughs> yep, well, that that wraps her up, man. That's what I. That's all I got. All right, good. I, I think um, we're going to try to keep these shows to an hour. Uh, for those of you guys that are, are trying to figure out how long the shows are going to be, I know in the past we've gone sometimes well over an hour. You're going to have to uh, bear with us because we do like to talk. So. Um, but I think if we could keep the show between an hour and an hour and 15 minutes, we'll be good. So that's what we're going to shoot for. Um, and and if you, uh, the listener, have stories or issues that you want us to address, um, even if it's whether it's a, a business matter or a legal matter and you want to sort of work it in or you listen to this and then you've got questions about something that you've uh, you've heard on the show, um, because there are a lot of people that download it after the fact, 
you should feel free to contact us, and then we'll um, you know address your questions, and we'll you know talk about them on the air if you'd like. Everything that you need to contact us is over at utlradio.com. Um, you've got links to email. There's uh, all of our social media profiles there. You know, just you can contact us so many ways that there's no excuse not to contact us. Um, also, let me know what you think about the live YouTube um, you know, presentation of this. And like I said to Bob at the beginning of the show, we'll see if we can do a split screen, um, maybe bring Bob on at some point and see how that plays out. But uh, it's a good first shot at doing this. And um, we're going to continue to do it. So just give give your feedback because, I mean, really that's important for us. Um, you know, we've, I've received so much positive feedback from a lot of the videos that have been posted and some of the uh, the Thursday Understanding Business shows where we interview the guests. Um, believe it or not, Bob, we've got a lot of people that have been calling and a couple of people who have come from out of state to talk about legal issues um, or business issues oh. because they they had watched one of the episodes. Um, one great, of the, the most popular has been the uh, the episode with Steve Darnell of uh, Welder Up, and uh, I'm pretty sure it's a Discovery Channel show. And the other one was Matt Roloff from Little People Big World, and um, they oh, have sure. just, yeah, I mean, there's so much business information that they can give, and it's been um, you know one one group of people came up from out of state. And told me that it was inspirational. So um, those people that are giving comments, whether they're negative or positive, I appreciate it. It helps. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I did get a negative comment about a video being out of focus, and even that helps, right? Because all right, <laughs> yes. now you know it's out of focus. So now I can do something <laughs> about it. So um, <laughs> feedback of any type is good. So please make sure you um, you you give us some feedback. Subscribe to the podcast. You can do it on iTunes. Subscribe to uh, the YouTube channel. There's also links on the website for that. Um, you know, give us a thumbs up. Let us know that that you're enjoying the show and that it's uh, something that you're interested in. Otherwise, it's just me and Bob having fun, and we don't know what you guys right. are interested in, right? <laughs> that's exactly correct. <laughs> I don't mind talking to you, that's for sure, but it always helps to uh, have some interjection. Yep. All right, so this will do it for this episode. We're going to be on next week, uh, same time. We're going to do the same thing. And um, in the meantime, if you've got questions and comments, let's let's you know have that discussion. We'll work it on to the, uh, to the show next week. So, Bob, I'm glad to be back. I'm glad you're back. And we're going Likewise. to make... Yeah, a regular thing again, so you can count on it every Monday at 10 o'clock. All right, Bob, I will see you next week. Um, we're going to have, just so everybody knows, one thing I forgot to mention, uh, UTL Radio website being updated, and we're in the process of booking additional guests for the Thursday show. So just stay tuned for that. We're going to be replaying some episodes for this coming Thursday, um, but in the very near future, we're going to be back on with live episodes, and I've got a whole host of people that we're going to have on, so that'll be exciting. So um, A little reorganization, that's all. Yeah, it's you know what? It had to happen. But you'll see that we've got a new studio out of it, and hopefully the, the quality, the sound quality is good, and the content's good. So you let us know, and we'll make revisions and changes along the way. So until next time, I'm Peter Lamont. Bob, thanks for joining me. And remember the power in understanding the law.
Napa know-how. Right now, you can get a $20 prepaid Visa gift card by mail with the purchase of a Napa Legend Premium Battery. Its durability and power make it the obvious choice for people who hate getting stranded by a dead car battery. So pretty much everyone. The Napa Legend Premium Battery and $20 back. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care Centers. Limit two per household while supplies last. Offer ends 228.19.